0: Hey, I would love for you to join us in one of our three Christmas Eve services on December the 24th at the Orchard Church. We have two regular services at 4 and 6 and a higher risk service at 2 p.m. that day. All the details are available at 4gilmer.com. That's F-O-R-G-I-L-M-E-R, 4gilmer.com. You can find out all about it and reserve your seat there for one of our two regular services or our higher risk service at 2 p.m. We've all had to miss out on so many things this year, but don't miss out on celebrating Christmas. Join us on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus and worship Him together. Merry Christmas. this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. You know, today it seems that the entire world has become diluted. It feels like we're calling all the right things wrong and all the wrong things right. We glorify bad stuff and we suppress good stuff delusion begins just a little bit at a time but the scripture tells us there is an antidote to delusion there is a way to anchor to the truth and know what you believe he is good to us and he has given us so much and we have so much to be thankful for till you turn on the news Right? And you look around and it seems like our world has really become diluted. Am I right? I mean, it seems like our world doesn't know what's right, what's wrong anymore. Seems like we're calling wrong right and right wrong. We've become really diluted. We don't know what to believe, what to do anymore. I mean, here we are in the 21st century. We're burning down our cities. We're giving away our liberties. It just seems like we have become deluded, and, and what I feel like I'm watching is I feel like I'm watching the collapse of everything. I feel like I'm watching it all fall apart all around us. Shouldn't be a big surprise, should it? I mean, Jesus talked about this very thing. He talked about what happens when you get your eyes off the prize what happens when you build your house on the wrong thing right in Matthew 7 Jesus says anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on the solid rock though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house it will not collapse because it's built on bedrock you hear the teachings of Jesus and you follow it you're building your house on the bedrock it will not fall And if there's any if there's ever any nation that has been exposed to built upon the principles of godliness the principles of Jesus himself it's America we of all nations should know the truth so we should be built on bedrock right but what he says is next is Chilling, he says, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, anyone who gets away from me is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. He says, The rains and the floods will come and the winds will beat against that house, and it will what? Collapse with a mighty crash boy, I feel like that's what's happening right now. I feel like we as a nation started out with godly, biblical, Jesus-centric principles, but we've gotten away from that and we've built our house all of a sudden on shifting sand. We've started to more and more rely on the shifting sand as our foundation, and I feel like we're watching it collapse all around us. Am I right? But here's the sobering thing. I wonder if the body of Christ me and you. I wonder if we are just a few steps behind our culture. I wonder if we're not moving in the same direction. I wonder, I wonder if we, the body of Christ, haven't slowly begun to step off of the bedrock and into the shifting sands. Jesus talked about this, too, in the same passage. He says, on Judgment Day, Matthew 7, on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord... We prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles in your name. We did all the right things. We knew all the right verses. We were in church every Sunday. You know, we did all the good things. We even knew knew how to do it in your name. So we're good, right? We're good, we're good, right? We're good? Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws I look at the world and I see it collapsing because it's become diluted and I wonder I wonder if Jesus isn't talking about an American church that isn't just as diluted I wonder if we've missed it if we've lost it somehow and become diluted how do you know how do you become diluted you know how you become diluted little bit at a time right a little bit at a time doesn't happen all of a sudden. Remember, delusion doesn't start with drinking the Kool-Aid. Delusion doesn't start with wearing Nikes and committing mass suicide waiting for your spaceship to come get you. Right? Delusion doesn't start when you're holed up in the compound until the ATF comes and burns you down. You know what I'm talking about. Those are the headlines because that's the result of delusion. But nobody just woke up one day and said, hmm, I think we'll stockpile some guns and hold up and just see what happens. You know, nobody starts off saying I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid. Nobody does. It happens a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. You and I, we're Christ followers. We're Christians. We're believers. We're part of the body of Christ. That means we are aiming for something, right? It means we're going somewhere. We're becoming something. We're headed down a path to a very specific destination. It's an arrow path, few find it. We're called to a destination. We're not called necessarily to the path as much as we are to the destination. Are we getting there? Are we heading the right way? Are we winning this? Or are we missing it somehow? In Hebrews, the writer says, let us run with endurance this race toward the finish line, this thing that we're chasing after. Let us run this race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The way to run that race, the way to keep on course and to avoid the delusion is to keep your eyes focused. Keep your eyes hard focused. Knowing what you're looking at. Keeping that gaze tight. Looking hard at Jesus. I remember when my son played I don't know I guess it was little league baseball it was little you know little little baseball little you know little kid baseball you remember this and I'm just going to be honest my son I love my son but he was a turd out there on the field he was terrible he was terrible he just didn't care about he was playing baseball because I wanted him to play baseball he didn't want to play baseball I mean he was literally out in left field you know just doing this all the time Did not know, did not care. And I remember when it was his turn to be at bat, he he wasn't he wasn't great at hitting the ball. And it was because he would stand there and, you know, we we coached him on a stance and, you know, getting that bat back and everything and and we we had him all coached in our position, but the whole time he was there he was distracted. He was checking out what everybody else was doing you know his you could just about see his head bobbing around like this seeing what was going on what was that noise oh there's a bird you know and so when the ball would come by he'd miss he'd swing and he'd come close but he would miss because his he was distracted he was glancing around he was glancing at this glancing at that glancing everywhere and not fixing his eyes on what he was supposed to hit and here's the Here's the first blank on your page if you're following along. You miss when you take your eye off the ball, right? You miss when you take your eye off the ball. And I wonder if that's not the story of the American church. I wonder if we have not taken our eyes off the ball, if we've stepped off the bedrock into the shifting sand and it's all coming, crashing down, even for us. Jesus saying to us one day, Get away from me. I never knew you. Are we dangerously close to this? It happens a little bit at a time. What Jesus says, get away from me, that's the headline. That's the result. But what's happening to us now? Are we moving there a little bit at a time? I was talking with Diane, our children's director. She and I served at a church down in Cobb County 20 years ago. Sherry, 20 years ago. That was 20 years ago. Actually, it was 24 years ago when we got there. So it was a long time ago. I'm old. Yeah. Thank you. So back in the day in Cobb County, what happened was there was this great interest in sports, in baseball. Baseball is one of the sports everybody was really, really interested in. And the problem that we had in Cobb County was that there were more teams than there were fields. They couldn't accommodate you everywhere all the time. And so what happened was they began scheduling regular season games not playoff games not travel games just regular season games of little kids on Sundays Sunday mornings so baseball season comes around and all of a sudden we're just missing a bunch of families there's just a bunch of families not gathering together with the body of Christ you know one of our primary things that we're called to do a lot of us are not doing and we'd call we'd get on the phone and call remember when you'd get on the phone and call uh, we'd get on the phone and be like, "Hey, what's going on? Everything okay with you guys? You know, what's ha- what's happening?" And they'd say stuff like, "Yeah, um, you know, we we're playing ball. It's ball season, and we got to all be on the ball field from seven o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock in the evening on Sundays. So don't worry. It's only going to be about nine months. that will last. You know, not a big deal." And what happened was, these people they were they were thinking that they're a little bitty Jimmy or they're a little bitty Johnny. You know. Uh, They were going to grow up and they were going to do so well in ball that they were going to go to college on a baseball scholarship and then turn pro and earn millions of dollars for the family. Guess how many of the kids in my student ministry ended up doing that? None. Zero. We call that deluded. They were deluded. They thought the important thing, the important thing to do with your family is get them on the ball field on Sunday and not have them in a godly place where they can learn to love God, where they can worship him together with the body of Christ. Deluded. They got off. Maybe for you, maybe for you it's not baseball. Maybe you're not on the baseball field on Sunday morning, but I guarantee you're deluded a little bit. Maybe for some of us, you're deluded by the job. Your boss tells you, if you want to keep this job, you got to work on Sunday mornings. That's the way it is. Or you lose the job. Deluded. You're out of the body of Christ because you think that work in that particular job is more important than worship of the Creator King. Maybe it's not work. Maybe, maybe you're deluded by the idea that you've got to put out in this dating relationship or you'll lose the dating relationship. And so you're engaged in sex outside of marriage, outside of God's divine design for your sex life. Diluted, You've put your sex life, your dating life, before God. I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe it's a habit that's turned into an addiction Maybe it's a constant struggle and, 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 and uh, strain about your finances in your life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. I don't know what it is. But for all of us, something has stepped between us and the thing that we're supposed to be focused on, having our eyes fixed on the prize. What in your life has captured your focus, captured your heart, captured your affection, and deluded you? Paul, the apostle, saw this happening to his people. And he didn't want that to happen. He wanted to to build them up. He wanted to help them build a structure that would stand, not collapse. He didn't want to see uh, Jesus one day tell his people, depart from me, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. He didn't want that to happen to his people. He wanted something better for them. So he writes this letter to one of his churches, the church at Colossae. And he writes it to them and he writes it to us by extension. And he tells us why he's writing this particular passage. He says in Colossians 2, 4, he says, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you. Other translations say no one will delude you with well-crafted arguments. I'm telling you this so you'll not be confused, but the, so you will be able to keep your eyes focused he goes on in the same passage he says don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies hey you need to keep this job hey you need to keep this boyfriend hey you need to keep this girlfriend don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ Paul doesn't want his people to become deluded and so he says, Don't fall for the lies. He says, Don't build your house on the shifting sands. Paul wants his people, he wants me and you to stand strong, to build on the firm foundation and be who God's called you to be. That's what he wants for you. And so so this is why he's writing. And what I want to do today is I want to look at what he writes. I want to look at the heartbeat of what he writes in this passage so that you can get this message and that you can keep your eyes focused and reduce the delusion in your life. Here's what he writes in Colossians 2. He says, I want them, and he's saying I want you, to have complete confidence, confidence that they understand that you understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. He wants you to have complete confidence. He wants you to have complete confidence in his plan. Do do you hear that? Holy cow, you can have complete confidence in God's mysterious plan. I, I know, I know, I know in church. Woo, yeah, we love that. We know God's plan. Yeah, we got it. We understand that we're Christians. Really? Then why is it that our number two prayer request always, every, every week, our number two prayer request is some form of God's guidance, some form of God's direction, Oh, we're in this situation, and we don't know what to do. We're worried. We're scared. We don't know what decision to make. We're concerned if we make the wrong decision, we'll go through the wrong door, and God's door will slam shut on us, and everything will fall apart in our lives. I just, oh, please help us make the right decision. We're not confident. Paul writes what the Holy Spirit inspires him to write. So that you will have confidence that you understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. This is so important that you'll understand that God's plan is Christ. Because in Christ, in him, lie hidden all of the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. So, who doesn't need a little bit more wisdom in their life? Who would like more wisdom in their life? Okay, because here it is. It's all hidden in him. It's all hidden in him. If you'll look into him, you will find wisdom and knowledge. These are two really important concepts that that God wants us to know about. He's talking about wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is one of my favorite words in the New Testament. The word, the Greek word knowledge, is actually the word gnosis. And gnosis, the Greek word gnosis, means the ability to grasp the truth. Gnosis is the ability to grasp the truth. Okay, uh, another translation will say the ability to apprehend the truth, and I really like that definition. Apprehending the truth. Don't you want to be able to apprehend the truth? When I think of the word apprehend, I think of that old TV show that used to be on called Cops. Anybody ever watch Cops. I did growing up. Yeah, I loved that show, man. So you, you got the cops that are called out to the scene, and there's always the guy that runs as soon as they show up, and they go chasing after him, you know, and they're running, uh, and they're out of breath, and by the time they finally catch up to him, you know, he's all scratched up, and he's shirtless, and he's cussing and spitting, and they, what they do, they get him, and they tackle him to the ground, and they wrestle him, you know, and then they get the cuffs on him, and they take him into custody. They have apprehended him. And I think that's the picture that I think the author here wants you to see. Is that you have apprehended the truth. He wants you to have the kind of knowledge that you don't just, you know, know. But you have wrestled it down. You understand it. You have figured it out. Okay? It's something that you have taken into your custody. You apprehend the truth. He wants you to have that kind of truth in your life, knowledge. The other word he uses there is wisdom. The Greek word for wisdom is the word Sophia. Anybody have someone in their family named Sophia? So that word means wisdom, and wisdom, the Greek word Sophia means to apply the truth, to apply the truth. So you haven't just apprehended it, but you know how to work it. You know how to operate it in your life. You know how it fits into your life or better you know how to fit your life around the truth this is huge so where I work we have a bunch of people on staff and we all have you know the basic business office tool on our desk it's a computer and we all love the computer don't we no Does anybody love computers? That's what I thought. Does anybody hate computers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we got a staff full of people that hate the computer. And so I would walk through the office and I would listen. I mean, I've, I've never heard Christians in a church staff coming that close to cussing as I would hear from time to time as they would try to wrestle with the computer. You know, I just want to make it do what I want it to do, and I can't figure out how to make it. And, you, and, and it seemed like the computer was working them a lot more than they were working the computer. You, you know what I mean? Does anybody have that experience with the computer? I mean, I heard nasty things about the computer. They want to throw them out. They, you know, they just hate the computers. And so I realized I didn't have the struggle with the computer that they had with the computer. And it's because I think I've been using them a lot longer. I realized they are a really good tool for me. I've got all my theological library. So I've learned really well how to operate the computer. And I don't think they'd had the chance to really learn how to operate the computer. So I brought them all in my office one day, sat them down, and connected the computer to the screen in the office. And I was like, okay, I want to show you some basic tips and tricks on how to operate your computer. And so I'm like, this is just, just simple tri- little hotkeys. I'm going to show you hotkeys, you know, like uh, copy paste. Command C for copy and Command V for paste. That way, instead of, instead of taking your mouse and hunting around and trying to find the thing you're looking for and don't know where it is, which drop down menu is it on, you just Command C for copy and Command. So if you're stealing some good text off of a website and you're going to put it into your document, you just Command C for copy and Command V for paste. Easy. And I'm showing them these little tricks, those and a few others. And I'm telling you, they were like, oh, my gosh, that's so simple. That's so e- I, that, that That makes my job a lot easier. And they walked out of there and they went back to work. And later on, one of my staff people told me, look, what those stupid little tricks that you showed us. She said, it changed my relationship with my computer. <laughs> and she said, now I work it instead of it working me. Isn't that great? That's what it means to apply the truth. Not just know the truth, but to apply the truth. When you apply the truth, you know how it works in your life, and it changes your relationship with everything. It changes your relationship with God. It changes your relationship with your spouse, with the people that you work with, with your neighbors. Once you learn how to apply the truth, it changes your relationship with everything in your life. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be confident. He wants you to know the truth and know how it works in your life. Isn't that great? He wants you to be able to stand and not collapse. So, here's what he says how do you do that how do you do that in this thing Paul is writing and he's saying I want you to know Christ be confident about his plan and understand the get the wisdom and the knowledge from him and so how do we do that he tells us right here in this passage in Colossians 2 he says so now just as you've accepted Christ as your Lord you must continue to what's that word All right, one more time. You must continue to follow follow him. Okay, okay, okay. This is not part of the sermon. This is just a free extra. I think we're really good at accepting him, but I think we're terrible at following him. Can I just be honest? I mean, I look around at all of us, myself included. I'm really good at having that, that great emotional and spiritual moment where I come to the front of the room and I get down on my knees and oh god I give my life to you and I just want you to change me and you know you, you do the whole prayer thing and you know I promise if you'll just get me through this I'll never cheat again you know you know right hello I accept you as lord you're the lord of my life you know we do all this and somebody says amen and the music stops the lights come back up and we dust ourselves off And instead of following him, we walk our own way. Instead of walking in his footsteps, instead of going where he goes, instead of saying what he says, instead of doing what he does, we do what we want. We do what feels best. No wonder we're not confident. Jesus talks about straddling two different worlds, having two masters, and you end up loving one and hating the other our problem is we love the wrong one and we come to church on Sunday and we have our little Jesus moment but then we go out and we follow our career path we follow our bank account we follow people on Facebook we follow all kinds of things but we're not following Jesus so How do you become confident? How do you apprehend wisdom and learn to apply it in your life? First of all, just as you've accepted him, you must continue to follow him. How do you do that? He says, let your roots, this is verse 7, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Let your roots grow down deep and let your lives be built on him. Remember, we're talking about solid rock, not shifting sand. Solid rock. Let your lives be built on Jesus. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, I like the New Living Translation. That's what this is. It's one of my favorites and I preach from it most of the time but I don't like the way it translates this because in some of the other translations, like the ESV, uh, it will use the same passage and it will not make it look like overflowing with thankfulness is a byproduct of uh, having a growing strong faith and, uh, in, and living in truth. This makes it look like it's a byproduct, but the way the ESV and a few other translations say it is that you let your roots grow down so that you will be rooted Established and overflow with thanksgiving be a person overflowing with thanksgiving that's what I think we might just lack I think we're not good at thanksgiving I mean I think I'm pretty good at saying thank you I mean I think I think I'm a pretty I think I'm pretty good at you know making eye contact if somebody does something you know good and say hey thank you I, I know I'm not perfect. I know I let things slide sometimes. You know, this morning I was walking out of the gym, and as I was getting ready to hit the door, somebody else from the other side opened the door. Young lady opened the door to come in, and she backed off and held the door open for the old guy to walk out. <laughs> and I was like, "Thank you." I said, "Thank you," as I walked. Out. I think I'm good. I think I'm good at glancing at something good and saying thank you. But I wonder if there's not a difference. Follow me here. I wonder if there's not a difference between someone who says thank you and someone who is a person of thankfulness. I think I'm good at saying thank you, but I'm not sure I overflow with thankfulness. I think I can say it, but I'm not sure I live it. Hello? Hello? So I, I, I use this example for me, I know in my life, li- living it is, is being present in it, right? And we just had Thanksgiving weekend. And if there's one thing I know, I've always known, Sherry, you can back me up on this. If, I want, if There's one thing I always know about myself, I'm not good at being present in the moment. Right, because I got all the family around. We're having dinner, Thanksgiving. You know, it's all family time. My grandson, who I might have just heard back there, uh, no, that's not him. Uh, he's here, paying his first visit, and you know, it's it's wonderful to have everybody together. But but i'm sitting there eating and i'm going all right as soon as we're done eating i got to get back on this project cuz i got i got a deadline coming up i got to get larry the slides and i got to get rebecca the notes and i got to i got to make sure that jenny can print the stuff for sunday and i got you know i got a presentation i'm going to be making on monday right after sunday and i've got to make sure i've got my notes for that here's my family all gathered around i'm supposed to be thankful this weekend but i'm thinking about monday I'm thinking about Tuesday. I'm thinking about a deadline. I'm thinking about a project. I'm thinking about what I'm not doing right now. I'm not good at being present in the moment. Anybody else have that? Am I the only one? Okay, thank you for encouraging me. I'm 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 glad to see I'm not the only one. But let me tell you, that's sick. Am I right? Here I am surrounded on Thanksgiving weekend by the incredible blessings of God in my life and I'm thinking about meetings I got to be at and deadlines I got to make. I'm deluded. I'm missing out. I've forgotten what's really important. I'm good at glancing at my family and being thank you, but then I got to get back to work. I'm good at glancing at God's provision and grace, but man, I got to move on and do some other things. But Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and he says to us, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. We're good at giving thanks in good circumstances. We're good at giving thanks on Thanksgiving weekend. But Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's always giving thanks, overflowing with thankfulness stop see it take it in what has God done for you how has he blessed you what has he given you stop be still and know that he is God here's the thing about thankfulness It's the next blank on your page. Thankfulness is about gazing, not glancing. I'm going to say that again until I hear it, amen. Thankfulness is about gazing, not glancing. That's why I always preach through the lens of the gospel. I always preach the cross of Christ because I want you saturated in it. I need to be saturated in it. It's not a salvation message for lost people. It's what you and I need to stop and be in. It's what we need to let our roots grow down deep in. The fact that you and I were traitorous criminals against a holy God, spiritually dead and having no hope to come to him. So instead, he came all the way to us. He left his throne in heaven, came to live here in this world, and he lived for 33 years until he went to the cross where all of the the bad things I had done that I deserved to pay for, he paid for. The wages of sin is death, so he died in my place on the cross. He died for me. He died for me. He died. I mean, dead for me. I didn't even want to go pick up my sister at the airport this week. But he died for me. Then he rose again three days later. And he gives that resurrected life to you. Because you had no life of your own. You were spiritually dead, so now he gives you life. And he's in the process of transforming you into a brand new creature, totally reflecting his glory and his grace. Instead of a person of death, now you're a person of light and life. Stop. Take it in. (laughs) Breathe on it. gaze at it. Because, next blank, you become what you behold. You become what you behold, right? So we gaze at the cross. We gaze at the empty tomb. We gaze at Jesus. What are you gazing at? Netflix? Fox News? The game that's on this weekend, whatever game it is you're watching? Maybe you're gazing at Instagram and Facebook. You're looking at everybody else's everything. Maybe you're gazing in the mirror and seeing all the things that you aren't. Your gaze is in the wrong place. That's how you get deluded. Gaze at the cross. Gaze at Jesus. Let your life grow down deep into him and let your life be built on him your life should be a long, steady gaze deeper and deeper into the gospel, deeper and deeper into Christ because in him are hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, thankfulness, thanksgiving is the fertilizer to strengthen your root system. Anchoring you deeper and deeper into Christ, the solid rock. It's being thankful. Not saying thank you, but overflowing with thankfulness. That's why Paul writes this to us. So that we'll become the people God's called us to be. So that we'll stand even when the storm comes. The Proverbs says, Let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Our life should be like the psalmist. Here's what he says in Psalm 34. David writes this. He says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are hopeless... Take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt His name together. I prayed to the Lord and He answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Hey, in my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus, is a guard he surrounds and defends all who fear him taste and see that the lord is good oh the joys of those who take refuge in him that's the cry of a thankful heart so my prayer for you this thanksgiving weekend is that you'll be a person that last blank that will overflow with thanksgiving